difference. And I'm a conversationalist, if you want to call it that. I love having those conversations because I don't care about someone's success. I'm more interested in their process more than their success because people try to mimic the success, but they don't mimic the process. How did you become self-karma? What made you write this book? How did you even get your, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, with publishing and things like that? So I love to get those stories of people's process and for them to share knowledge on the process because I think the the keys are in the process, not the success. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We've got a great one in store for you. In case you happen to miss the last episode, here's a quick snippet, and then we will get on to the show. So so who I am is a person who's been through a lot from being shot uh, to uh, building businesses to losing them, to almost losing my marriage, to finding it, you know, to beating addictions, to really going through the serious muck, to climb out and say, I made it. And you can too. <laughs> Today we have with us an amazing guest. I'm so excited to have here Prince uh, Dykes with us uh, today. Uh, Prince, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little more about who you are and what you do? Oh, how you doing, everybody? My name is Prince Dykes. Uh, coming to you guys live from Denver, Colorado. Uh, most of you guys may know me from maybe Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or uh, uh, podcasting, uh, you know, all of the crazy stuff you may see me do around the globe, maybe books or whatever. Um, but essentially, you know, I've been a military, now military veteran coming up in June, it'll be 16 years, looking to retire here in about four years. And throughout my uh, military career, right out of high school, um, you know, I earned my associate's bachelor's, uh, associate's bachelor's MBA, you know, Series 65, Series 63, Life Health, Accident Insurance, Credit Financial Counselor, uh, certified financial planner, and you know, uh, a couple other certs in the financial world. And uh, once I finished grad school, I took the, when I started to learn about finances, I, I thought it was pretty cool, but I was always wondering why I never was taught about this, why my parents never purchased stock for me. And uh, I asked my dad why he didn't do it. He would say, son, I, I didn't know I could do that, you know. And he was like, well, you have different, he's 72 today, and he said, you have totally different access than I had you know, back then. So, and I always used to ponder in my head and say, man, what if my dad had the access and knew about this, how I could have changed myself and my brother's life. So I started doing it for my son. And my son now is, uh, you know, he's Wesley. And we started on YouTube together about, when he was about two, three years ago, about five or six years, about six years ago now. And um, we, you know, started with Facebook page and it turned to, YouTube, then Instagram, then Twitter, then a podcast, and led us to re uh, writing our first book called Wesley Learns to Invest, which ended up becoming the world's first investment book for children. I was pretty surprised by that, where it was a storyline with teaching kids about investing, you know, father and son storyline. And, um, you know, yeah, we were, we were finalists for Shark Tank season seven. Um, we got away to the end, but we didn't make the actual show. But we ended up meeting uh, Wally Amos, who was actually featured on that season. Um, he's known as, better probably known as the Cookie Legend, Famous Amos. And we ended up meeting uh, Famous Amos. He really uh, loved our first book. He ended up actually hosting, it would be a year later, he ended up hosting our second book launch, which, which was titled, Wesley Learns About Credit. So uh, that came out in 2017. And in 20, I think it was 2016 or 2017, um, I was doing a podcast, pretty much something like this, and someone said, you know, one day you should uh, you should aim to meet Warren Buffett. And I was like, well, how do you meet Warren Buffett? And it was like, well, I don't know. It was like I was in a room once. It was Bill Gates. It was Warren Buffett there. And you should look into it. I know they do some type of meeting, so you should look into uh, going there or getting into the room some type of way. And I scoured the Internet high and low. 
And I saw, and I started to find information when people were talking about the meeting, but I had never find, or I could never find anybody that had gone. And uh, so, you know, I couldn't find a phone number. I couldn't find anything. Then I thought about it. I said, hmm, a 10 kilo, 10 kilos of financial statement that, uh, you know, it's an annual, an annual report. I found Berkshire's annual report and it had a phone number listed. And I just called a phone number and of course it went to voicemail. And I, I was actually in Japan at the time. And I just left a voicemail of uh, who, I, who I was and what I wanted to do. And I, um, a 30 minute, and I had to left my email address because I didn't have a phone overseas at the time. And I ended up getting an email back from Berkshire within like 30 minutes. And they wanted to know more information. And that started our, uh, our conversations. And next thing you know, they ended up uh, sending me uh, passes and inviting me to the first meeting, to my first meeting. So I flew from Omaha, I flew from Hawaii to uh, Omaha. Never had been in Nebraska. Never had been to Omaha. Never had been to a shareholders meeting. Never had known anybody that had gone. So everything was brand new. And it just gave me the the past to um, the past to come cover it. So there, I uh, that was my first time um, seeing Charlie Munger, uh, Warren Buffett, and I didn't expect to be standing right next to Bill Gates. But from them to uh, numerous you know people that. I, remember from television, from Yahoo to Fox Business to all type of people. So uh, uh, that was very, very cool for me. First time I was going, I think that was in 2017. Then after I came back from there, I ended up getting a local community access show in Hawaii on Think Tech Station. Then I left Hawaii, came to Denver, ended up getting another show in Denver. So I do a show in Denver, I do a show in Hawaii, along with the YouTube, Facebook, Instagram podcast. and then we started the Global Children's Financial Literacy Foundation and in 2017 as well. And, uh, you know, everything is pretty much uh, clicking forward. So, uh, you know, along the way, just uh, meeting people, speaking at different events, and uh, things have been looking uh, pretty good for us. So with the, the process of starting to kind of share and create content online, so how did you kind of get, how did you get started with that? What did you start initially doing and, and why did you start to, uh, to share more online? I initially went to the chair. I went, I went to, I essentially went to online because it was the cheapest way to kind of build a resume. I knew that I was going to retire in 10 years and I said, well, I want to go into another facet of life. And I've seen so many veterans struggle with their next phase in life because so people are not used to you doing things in the past. So uh, I said, well, let me start to, how, what is the way I can kind of start getting myself out there a little bit? And, you know, the easiest way was Facebook. And it was just talking about different financial topics. And then, you know, a guy wrote me one day and said, hey, this sounds great, but how do I actually do it? And so I said, okay, well, it's pretty simple then I started making tutorials and those tutorials I started making tutorials on E-Trade first and they ended up becoming the number one E-Trade tutorial on YouTube uh, with doing uh, E-Trade then I started doing TD Ameritrade so by doing things like showing people how to open up account open a brokerage account what is a dividend what is a stock uh, dividend calendars all these tutorials showing people things is grown until now uh, we're we're pretty much at 25,000 subscribers on YouTube alone. So just over the years of uh, bringing in tutorials, that was a big driving force. And three years of doing, um, just doing tutorials, that's when I landed my first interview. Three years of that, then I, I didn't start doing interviews until about two and a half years ago. Okay, okay. And so with the interviews, the interviews, what type of interview was the first uh, interview that you did? And what was that, what was that like? My first, my first ever interview was CNN financial contributor by the name of uh, Clyde Anderson. And I was flying home to Georgia. I'm originally from Georgia and, you know, Atlanta is the hub for CNN. And I, uh, he had actually reached out to me because of my first book. And he said, if there's any way, if there's ever a way that I can help you, uh, you know, let me know. And I said, hey, you know, I'm going to be flying home for Georgia. Maybe I can interview you. And he said, cool, let me know how you want to do it. So I had a buddy in Atlanta, and I I knew he was doing video production. And I said, hey, is there a way that you could, you know, uh, set up a place or a studio that we can do an interview? 
And so pretty much I, I hired him and his production team and uh, Clyde Anderson uh, showed up, him, but it was Tyra Jackson showed up as well. And those was my uh, first ever interviews on uh, YouTube. Got it. Okay. So sounds like if I'm thinking of the systems here is mm -hmm. that you started to create some visibility. Mm -hmm. You already had, you already had a base of some financial knowledge. You know, you mm -hmm. had a, you had a base of, of some knowledge. You wanted to become more visible. So you started to create. So mm -hmm. from there, then you had some other people that reached out to you because you were visible mm -hmm. that expressed an interest to tell, to, for you to tell more, which gave you an idea to start creating these tutorials. Mm -hmm. You started doing that. And, and in this case, then it, built up into other connections and there's must be some stories of networking in here as well oh, yeah. as to make this effective. Right. Um, and we'll, let's talk about that. I'm curious though, with the YouTube, right. Mm -hmm. And with content, I think a lot of people that may be listening, a lot of people that are um, really trying to build out as you know, within business and entrepreneurship, they're still questioning the ROI of this activity. What is the ROI of creating social content and all that? And so for somebody maybe that, that doesn't know, so what sort of the, with that many subscribers, right? So what's the, I guess, can you tell us more about sort of the significance of that mm -hmm. and sort of how that's impacting you and your, your pursuits going forward? Um, the first thing is, you know, YouTube with, the, you know, 25,000, I think it's like 20,000 on Instagram and Facebook, something like, I don't know, 80 or something, 80,000 or something like that. But the thing, the significance of having a social media following and a social media presence, one, everything becomes Google. You become Googleable, you know, easily searched because that's the first thing everybody uh, do these days. You give them a business card, they hear a name. The first, the most, you know, uh, the most used, utilized research tool is Google. So by having a following, having a social media presence, it makes you Googleable. So if I say, "Hey, you heard of, you heard of this show? Have you heard of this guy? Or you heard of X Y Z?" and they're like, "Well, no, I haven't heard of them." And you can pull them up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google searches. Then you know it's it creates a uh, credibility factor. So um, then by saying, hey, once you have the credibility factor, when someone sees you have, uh, let's say, a subscribers, following, a fan base, number one, that is your own personal audience. You know, going on to, coming on to your show is great. Coming on, uh, going on to uh, this Fox, NBC, whatever the case may be. But when those, uh, when this interview is done, what else can I do to reach people? Right. So by having my own social media, having my own podcast, having my own things, that gives you your own base. For prime example, I come out with a product, a T-shirt or whatever. I can talk to my own base about my product. And then once I have my own base for my product, then I can also go somewhere else or whatever the case may be. But the, the, the other cool facet is it brings you credibility once you're dealing with other people. Let's say, hey, I, I have a show and I want to get this person on or I want to get uh, these people on or whatever one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is what is your listenership? Is it worth my time to sit and talk to you or whatnot? How many views do you get? How many downloads? What's your, so when they see that, Hey, this person actually actually has a fan base or a following or whatever the case may be, then people kind of want to get next to you. Hey, you know, you have a nice little setup there. So by them coming onto your show or doing anything with you, it, it increases your credibility because now you have been effectively able to network with someone else. So, um, you know, one, then also with the on the YouTube side of the house, not the other, other platform, but on the YouTube side of the house, you'll start to earn a revenue. So you'll start to earn an ad revenue, whereas in it become a passive revenue. So for take myself, for example, where I think I received like 200 hours of watch time per day on my YouTube channel alone. And um, on my podcast, I think it's like 100 plays a day. Even though I only release one episode a week, it earns 100 plays a day, about three to six hours of watch time per day. So that is giving me, giving me my own platform to be able to advertise myself, be able to talk to my own fan base, and create credibility within your space. So once, once people see that, it makes it, you know, you know, like people say, people lie, numbers don't. So once people see the numbers, they see the engagement, um, you have a presence. So that's the return on investment for me. For me, And it also became pretty much like one of my greatest assets to have. Absolutely. Okay. So you hit on two big things there that I think should resonate with anybody that has a business mind is the visibility and the credibility. And those are, are massive things. And so 
um, I think that a lot of people too that may be listening are still trying to figure out some of these things or learning in different ways. And so the networking that's helped you to get to this point, can you talk to us more about how you've effectively networked to sort of create some of these opportunities mm -hmm. and what's made you effective at networking? One of my strong suits is, um, is people, talking to people, uh, talking to people, you know, networking with people. Uh, one of the big things that has helped me, like some people that I'm just an extrovert, you know, I can pretty much talk to a tree, have a conversation with anybody. So that was very helpful for me. But the thing is, you have to go to where you think the people that you want, the person that you want to become will go. So local events, uh, if there's a local event, if you want to be involved with schools, start going to some of the board of education meetings, right? They're open to the public. So by going to the board of education meeting and speaking at the board of education meeting and by you talking at the board of education meeting, guess what? It's going to be other principals there. There's going to be other superintendent is there, other school teachers, things like that. So they get to see you. They may turn around and say, hey, We've heard of that guy. We know that person. We'd like to have him at our school at XYZ. Um, when there's a social event, um, that's it, it may cost you a little money to go to the social event, uh, but go there and um, shake hands and things like that. But the key thing is once you connect with people, um, you have to be an asset. In some way, form, you have to be an asset. It's just like a marriage. You know, it's just like a marriage. It's just like a business relationship. The moment you start to slide into the liability category, that's when people cut ties with you. So you always have to be an asset, whether it's, hey, I have a show. I can bring you on my show. Hey, I have a book, and I want to include you in my book. Hey, I have a foundation. We do these cool things in the community. I would love to have you involved. Hey, I know someone that you know. So the first thing is, you know, when you communicate, you're listening to what someone else is driven by. You're looking, you're listening to what someone else wants. So, you know, uh, when I talk to someone, I listen first before I talk. So many people, when they meet someone, they try to pitch, 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 pitch. Hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do this. I'm so awesome. I'm so cool or whatnot. Versus me, I listen to a person and see what they may like. They say, you know, I really would like to meet uh uh, you know, one day I would like to meet you, you just by sitting there talking to him. One day I would love to meet Warren Buffett. One day I would love to meet um, an athlete. Or one day I may uh, love to get into the community. And if you have an answer to that, then you provide them with the answer. Hey, you know, well, I actually know a way that you might be able to do this. I can't guarantee anything, but this is one of the ways that you might be able to do it. So, um, you know, once I uh, network with people, talk to them, you know, you exchange phone numbers. Now you have to fertilize those relationships just like anything else and maintain being an asset in a relationship. That's one of the ways to um, promote yourself, you know, to, to, to effectively network. And the biggest thing is being a man or woman of your words. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. You know, that gets you by so far because in business, business is a ungoverned body, you know, meaning that one day someone could, not you can do a contract with someone and the person could not uh i'm not i won't say the person could just not live up to the ends of the contract you know and what are you going to do there's nothing nobody's just going to stop a person unless you're going to go sue them so so people don't want to go down that path so then have your credibility do what you're going to say um stick by your word try your best to meet your word you know if i told you hey errol i'm going to be on this show at this time or whatnot, then I'm going to be here at that particular time. That gets you a very, 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 very long way. Now, of course, things happen, but be a man or woman of your word and stick by your word. And, you know, that's one of that, that gets you further than money, celebrity, all that good stuff like that. So that's one of the most of that's that has helped me the most with effective uh, networking, because, you know, once you network with one person, they're going to know other people. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't want to get into a Berkshire, but it's just like with a, a thing like Berkshire, it's just not because of Warren Buffett, it's because of all the other people that are coming around that are like-minded people. So uh, those are one of the things, get out there, be seen, shake hands, kiss babies, campaign, uh, and you may find someone that may like you. And, and one of the key things I learned, don't force it. When it's your time, it is your time. Don't force the meeting. Don't force the interaction because you're probably going to look a little crazy. Uh, I've been in a room and been close to some very great people, and uh, I really wanted to network with them but didn't have the opportunity. Then there was times where 
I was just showing up to a place and boom, it just happened like one, two, three. So, you know, when it's your time and it's meant to be, it'll happen. That's, uh, that's really encouraging. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, that's great perspective and a great, you know, some great experience there. Uh, so you, one of the things that you mentioned, which is interesting, are uh, creating some of these other assets to be able to provide for other people. And so many times, I think when people are thinking of the ROI of their activity, it's like they have to sell something or they have to get something immediately. And the way that you're really creating maybe leverage in a relationship to create more opportunity, it has to do with these other types of assets. And these mm -hmm. assets, like you said, could be a podcast, it could be a book, it could be a meeting, it could be any of these things but you have to work to kind of create those. And it, it sounds like you've, you know, you've put a lot of time to kind of build that, not just the, uh, not just the, the content, uh, different assets, but you know, the foundation, uh, the book, uh, and, and doing some other, other things from there. So it looks like you've really been focused on trying to kind of create those areas. And um, can you talk a little more about sort of how those have developed? And I know you've, you've had some uh, real interesting opportunities that have been coming up to collaborate as well with some other folks. Mm -hmm. And there's some interesting projects from there. Can you tell us more about the progression for uh, those projects and maybe some of those interesting things that you're, you're doing at the moment? Yes. Um, and I wanted to hit on one thing too. I always tell people, relationships over transactions you know nurture relationship and focus on relationships first because positive relationships leads to transactions too often you know like you said people are focused on what's my roi today what's my roi right now and this is, is this going to be worth my time and it's to say hey you know let's build a relationship first you know, you may meet somebody, yes, you would love to marry them, but before you, they're married, uh, it's a friendship. Then there's a friendship, then there's an engagement. And then, you know, from the engagement, then there may possibly be a marriage. So it's like anything else, you nurture relationships. So I like to focus on relationships more than transactions versus looking at making a sale or a pitch, just, hey, just build a relationship first. And if that relationship is positive, it would lead to transaction and it would, it would lead to you having a greater network. Um, with some of the things I have going on with the Children's Financial Literacy Expo, um, you know, teaching at the Broncos Boys and Girls Club, a road back to school backpack giveaways, and all those certain things around the, uh, uh, you know, pretty much going on around the, um, the city of Denver base right now. Um, those things came about with, I wanted to bring exposure to financial literacy. You know, uh, I've have set and helped the rural public schools come up with the curriculum, with ways to bring in financial literacy into the curriculum, into schools, but we can all sit back and type up these things and tell kids what they want. My approach is I like to sit down with kids and say, what do you want? What do you want to learn about business? If you can learn something more about money, what would it be? And I like to build a curriculum around what they want versus what I think is important to them. So everybody can sit behind a door and write things down and, hey, um, you should learn this. You should learn about this. You should learn about this and shove it down people's throat. But what are you doing to bring exposure? For prime example, there's tons of research about breast cancer. But I guarantee you, if I ask you today, Errol, what color is breast cancer awareness? Everybody knows it's pink. Due to the awareness, due to the football players wearing it, due to celebrities wearing it, due to the commercial exposure, was it brought to was brought to a cause? So when I do an expo, when I go to speak at a school, it's all about bringing exposure to financial literacy. And the number one reason why people don't invest is because they was never exposed to the topic. It's because it's a lack of knowledge, even knowing how any of this crap works. So why would they be interested? So the thing is, one of the facets that we like to focus on is how can we bring exposure to it? People like certain celebrities, uh, whether it may be the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, or maybe it may be uh, an athlete like a uh, Metal World Peace, who's a prior NBA champion, and NBA All-Star, maybe a Terrell Davis, an NFL uh, Hall of Fame running back. Uh, so whatever it is to bring exposure to it, whether it could be a football player, a basketball player, a celebrity or an actor, but it's all about bringing exposure to the particular topic so I can share knowledge as well. That, that's interesting. And I, I don't want to cut you from there, but that I haven't thought about it in that way in that in this case, if you bring, if you're bringing exposure to whatever the topic is, mm -hmm. then it brings people's natural interests and then they want to explore and you can find out, I, mean, I guess, meet them where they're at, but you're attracting mm -hmm. them 
because of the exposure. Is that, I guess, would you say that that's, we're, we're tracking on that? Is that about in the, yes. in the right realm? Yes, it's the reason why people do shows, media, radio, things like that. I have to bring exposure to a topic. You know, um, I can sit sit here in my basement and write the best book the world has ever seen. But if I can't get it out there for people to know about the topic, then guess what? I mean, to me, 10 years ago, autism didn't even exist. I didn't know anybody with autism. I didn't hear about it. I didn't hear anybody talk about autism or even care what the topic was. But as the topic got spoken about more and more and more and things like that, then people started saying, hmm, you know, what is autism? What is breast cancer? Oh, they come up with the color. Now people start to explore. It opens up your market and make your market broader. It attracts more people to your market. Uh, it, it maybe attracts more people to produce in that particular market. The more people that produce in that market, the more people that uh, start to bring awareness in that market, it it places it opens up your market. So you don't want to be the only person in the market. You want to create attention because some people say, well, children's financial literacy, we don't create those products because they don't sell. But if you start to create exposure around that, then people may start to draw interest to it. And the more interest they draw in, the more people, you know, you can draw in potential uh, clients, customers, uh, all those great things that's loving what you're doing and push your calls forward. I, I really love that we got to this point in this conversation because it relates outside of this too to this content creation and just talking about you know one specific thing I was thinking about which maybe you, you'll I uh, think this is interesting I'm thinking how many people have read security analysis <laughs> people may be so focused on just trying to you know sell whatever it is that they're doing um, really though they can create awareness for themselves as a brand uh, that attracts their target audience to them mm -hmm. and indirectly they're able to then sell more because they've attracted and they can find out, like you said, I love what you said about, and that, that really is novel to sit down with kids or whoever and just say, what is it that you would like to learn about this? And then going from there. So if you can attract them, you can find out about them, figure out how to serve them and how to help them on their terms. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things is like, let's say if you have an Instagram account or a Facebook page, right? And you're focused on selling a t-shirt. Take my shirt here. I want to sell, you know, it's called Arrow. This is my uh, clothing line, right? And I follow you on your Facebook or your Instagram and it's great. It's like, hey, that's a cool shirt. I might even buy a shirt. And, but the thing is, why should I come back to your page? Why should I come back? What are you giving me? You know, for primaries, are you teaching me anything? Are you giving me a tutorial? Are you, uh, are you having giveaways? How are you keeping people engaged with your audience? Hey, you know, uh, guess what? I hit 25,000 subscribers for that. I'm going to give away uh, 25 of my own products. Or, hey, I'm, today I have a clothing line, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the different fabrics of clothes. I'm going to talk about how to stitch and sew. I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, making my brand more visual, creating a movement. That's what I like to say, creating a movement around it. Why should I come back to this YouTube channel? Why should I come back to this podcast or this radio or, or whatever the case may be? What are they giving me? If you listen to, or you probably watch most of the things that you frequently go back to, it's probably giving you something. You know, I'm subscribed to this because they put out great information. Um, I follow this because it gives me something. It doesn't have to give you a lot, but it has to give you something on a continuous basis. It's the, the concept, the jab, jab, hook. You know, you jab, jab, by while you're jabbing, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. Then you come with your product. Your product could be a bottle of water. It could be a book. It could be a whatever. And people will say, I don't know how many times I've had people write me and say, I've been listening to you and watching you since I was 16. Now I'm 22 or now I'm 21, you know, or I, you know, whatever for the last five or six years, I pretty much was kind of raised on your content. So those people, every time you have a product or every time you go somewhere live, they're going to be there for you because you have created a connection with them because you always gave them something. You taught them something. You brought people in to uh, share information. So I always tell people to focus on first, uh, getting your name out there, building the credibility and serving the people first. You know, if you serve, you will get served in most cases. You know, if you plant, planting the right seeds and, and nurturing those right seeds and watching them grow. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Um, 
let's let's do this. So from here, I guess I have this one thought. I, I don't know how you would answer this question. Uh, so again, I can't really get into too much uh, specifics when it comes to investment and things like that. But what 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 do you think? I guess what do you think Warren Buffett would would think about social media and how that's impacting just business in general? Um, I almost I almost think that the concept of a moat of a widening moat for personal brands and for businesses is so much easier to be able to create a wider moat for a brand and differentiate than any other time in history. But what, what thoughts without getting into specifics, but any particular thoughts that come to mind for you for that? Um, two things come to mind. The first thing come to mind is Buffett missed a boat on Amazon. And he spoke about that two, three years ago at his meeting about uh, how he had the opportunity to make a move on Jeff Bezos on Amazon, but he just couldn't understand the business model. So he chose Walmart over Amazon because Walmart was easier to understand. Now we know what Amazon turned into uh, years and years later, but it seems to me that um, with that, um, Buffett is not a, a very big, you know, he's a very simple guy. You know, he's, a, he's like an old simple guy, you know, to where, okay, so what does this do? How does it earn money? That's the way that, you know, he's keep it simple. He knows that, hey, this is Heinz ketchup. People use ketchup for hot dogs. Uh, if you look at all his businesses, oh, Dairy Queen gets an easy business model. The hand sanitizer, hand sanitizing company, Pernell, that you just, everybody just put hand sanitizer on, that's one of his companies. You know, the little gel, they make the gel for the hand sanitizer. So things like that he can understand pretty easy. So social media, you know, He's not a big fan of, I don't believe, you know, my from my personal takes and things like that. I know he doesn't use social media. Um, you know, I know he, you know, he doesn't have a computer in his office, <laughs> you know, or at home. So I don't, I would assume that he's probably not the most social media person. He's someone that's going to pick up a newspaper and he's going to, someone's going to come tell him, hey, this person, is, we researched this person in X, Y, Z. I mean, that would be my uh, uh, perception of it. But you got to think about it, Buffett is 89, almost 90 years old. So, you know, I don't think that maybe in, in his thought process that he probably would care a whole lot about it. But he, but on the, on the um, sidebar, he's very big on brands. Uh, you know, he's notorious for saying, hey, um, I could understand losing money. I could understand not making money. But if you ever put, if you ever lie to me and put the brand on the, on, on the line, then I would do everything in my power to uh, make sure you're processed by the the highest, you know, you know, to the fullest extent of the law that he has, right? And so that tells you he's very big on brands. So he's very big on brands, and one of the easiest and fastest and quickest ways to brand yourself nowadays is social media. You know, television is a dying sport in most cases. Look at the concept where the largest, one of the largest movie theater, not movie theaters, but the large, one of the largest movie companies is Netflix, and it doesn't even own a theater. You know, one of the largest taxi cab services is Uber, and it doesn't even own a car. You know, uh, you have to think about or look at uh, one of the largest travel agencies is Airbnb, doesn't even have a hotel, anything like that. So when things are shifting like that, you know, one of the quickest and fastest ways right now is social media and media. So if you don't have a media presence, you know, I don't understand how can you really have a physical presence and Look at it and look how huge Amazon, the largest bookstore in the world, doesn't even have a store. <laughs> you know, and you're seeing retailers like Payless and Sears and Macy's are slowly closing down, uh, closing stores. So if you're big on brands and know that, uh, you know, this is one of the ways to brand yourself, I think he'll be a fan of it. But actually, social media himself, um, I don't think that he would be too crazy about it. I don't think he would be DMing people, you know. I just think that probably he was like 40 years younger. He probably would, maybe. But, you know, being 89 years old and, you know, being in the position that he's in and he knows that, hey, time is limited, I think that he's very mindful of his time. He's not going to jump on the zero email policy? <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah, I definitely can't uh, see that happening, so – all right. All right. Yeah. We got to, I'd love to see him in the room with Grant Cardone talking about 10 X and uh, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but he's, uh, he's a little, it's a little, uh, and, and did nothing. I mean, anybody that knows anything about Buffett or follows Buffett or anything like, you know, that he's not flashy. Anything with flash is like 
a distraction only. Just don't get involved with uh, people and things that are very, you know, flashy. You know, with the private jets and the fancy cars and the fancy houses and, you know, anybody that's going to Omaha and seen Warren Buffett's house, you know he lives in a, to this day, lives in a regular neighborhood. So uh, someone at that magnitude living in a regular house in a regular neighborhood, you know, I don't think he'll be too uh, keen on, you know, you know, uh, so anything that has to do with a lot of flash and what I've known about him and what I've read about him and what I've seen about him and the people that uh, work for him, work around him, being his friends for a long time, you know, for prime example, I remember at the first meeting, I saw him get into, a, it was a Cadillac, like a 2000, you know, I'm going to read, I'm going to put out this interview again and it's about the steakhouse owner. You know, I don't mean the sidebar, but it's, uh, it's a steakhouse called Grotz and Grotz is a, it was Warren Buffett and the, the original owner of Grotz went to college together. And it's literally like Warren Buffett's house, the steakhouse, then Berkshire headquarters. It's like a mile apart. So he's notorious going there every week, you know, or whatnot. And I think it would really support his buddy. You look at this restaurant, there's nothing fancy about it at all. You know, and I've seen Buffett there. I've seen Bill Gates there, also Charlie Munger, all those guys there. And he told me the story. He said, hey, you know, here in Omaha, we've been knowing Buffett since the 60s, 70s, 80s. So he's not a big thing to us. He didn't really start to pick up notoriety until late uh, 90s, early 2000s. So, and one of the things was, he was like, Buffett used to come here all the time in a Buick, this old Buick that you would never trade in. And he said, until finally, it literally the Buick broke down in the parking lot with him and Bill Gates. So he said, you can visualize him and Bill Gates outside in the parking lot. <laughs> trying to figure out how to put this Buick together. And it was at that time that he finally got rid of the Buick and he finally got a Cadillac and he's had this, you know, it's not a new fancy bells and whistles or anything like that. The Cadillac actually got a dent on the front left side. So, <laughs> and uh, he said he brought this Cadillac and he just never traded in. And my first time uh, going to Berkshire, I actually seen him, you know, come out of the restaurant and uh, get into that Cadillac and drive off. So, uh, he was like, yeah, you know, we finally got him out of the Buick, and then he finally got the Cadillac. So that tells you that he's not a big, flashy, flashy, you know, over-the-top person. So um, I wouldn't be too crazy, you know. I've even seen it. I'll tell you a personal story. Um, I introduced, uh, I'm pretty sure you're probably familiar with Ty Lopez. Sure. And I introduced Ty Lopez into uh, some of the people at Berkshire, and they were not interested. And it was due to, you know, Ty's a very flashy person. Lamborghinis, cars, women, mansions, things like that. It just, for some reason, I don't think that they fits their culture. You would meet the people that work at Berkshire who've been working there for 40 years, and they look like, you know, no offense, but they look like greeters at a Target. You wouldn't even notice, and they would never tell you. If you didn't know, they would never tell you. You would think they were a security person, <laughs> or you would think they was just a hostess, but they would really have been with Buffett for the last 40 years. But that's just the culture they have. Even down to the steakhouse, it's nothing fancy. The steakhouse almost looks like a cafeteria. Nothing fancy about it. So those are things I catch with the culture. And knowing what I've known and read what I read, that very simplistic people, very sim simplistic uh, people, not too crazy about the flash. And one of the greatest lessons that I learned from Berkshire, they, uh, they taught me, never look at the business, look at the person. If the person is a bad husband, if the person is a bad dad, no way they're going to be a good businessman. You can fix uh, someone who has high morals, you can help fix their business. But someone who has a great business with low morals, you can't do anything to fix it. So they always taught me to look at the person, aka the management first, before you look at the business. So that was one of the greatest lessons that I learned. If you are a crappy dad, and a crappy husband, how in the world are you going to be a great business person, that, uh, someone of high morals? So you find someone of high morals first, and then you can build out, you know, a business with them. So that's one of the things I focus on with people uh, when I build relationships. Just do good business with good people. What good is it if you and I went to business together, and you made an investment into me, and for me to go buy purchase at McDonald's, and I never would pay you your royalties? Now you have to sue me. That costs you money. 
uh, legal fees, time to sue me. And then say if you sue me and I pay you the money, what are you going to do next year? Sue me again? Keep suing this person every single year? That's a bigger headache than it is what you call it. So uh, that was one of the greatest lessons I learned. Look at people with a great moral base first that's in business, then you can build out a business from it. That seems like it relates to the networking and the relationship building piece. And even why, I guess if, for example, the most fundamental uh, focused uh, business people in probably the world are, don't like flash, they're really trying to break it down in the relationship, take it slow, figure out really what the vibe is and what the, really, the other person is like, and then see if it makes sense. Because it can take time to do business, it can take time that can wait, but it's really, is it the right type of person? Is it the right, you know, is the right, in, the right engagement? Mm-hmm. So that sounds, that sounds interesting. So, so tell me this. So with your plans at this point, so you, you you've actually had the opportunity then to go to cover the Brookshire um, mm-hmm. meeting three years, three years now. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. Yep. 2019, right? three years. Yep. So for the fourth year coming up in May, so how how are you? This, this will be, this will be my third year. This is year three. Oh, this is gonna be year three. Okay. This is year three. So how are you gonna approach this differently? What's your plan? How are you gonna to try to make the most of it? What are your plans when you go there and you're interacting with people? And how are you approaching it differently this year? Maybe it's not the smartest and best way, but when I go out to places, I mean, of course I've gotten to know people and you've gotten to meet people and things like that. But some people set up meetings. There's a lot of other meetings that go outside of Berkshire. You know, like it's a million dollar meeting. People have over a million dollars in Berkshire. It's another meeting for that. Yahoo Finance has a meeting. People have all type of other, you know, some hedge funds managers come and have their annual meeting there and things like that. But with, uh, with me personally, I like to go there and become a free bird. I just like to go there and absorb the environment. I just like to go there, go to the steakhouse, have a couple steaks, go to uh, on the Friday, just walk around the uh, shopping day, just see who I may run into or talk to. If I run into some people I knew from last year, I just go talk to them. But it's really me about going there, just having the experience and documenting the experience. Uh, instead of booking my day up with all these meetings, and, hey, I mean, I got to meet with X, Y, Z, and this person and that person. I got to drive over here. And I think you miss the natural set of people that actually come. So I just want to just get a regular, you know, just be a regular person every single year and just go through the motions of every single year and uh, see who you run across. And if you run across people that I know, um, I'll meet with them. But I don't like to book my – because when you book your schedule, yeah, you know people – you book your schedule with people that you know that you miss out on meet, meeting new people. You may miss out on meeting someone new. And, you know, uh, so I just like to go be a free bird and just sit back and uh, talk. And uh, I know just like every year I go back, people remember, one, one people definitely remember me. Um, then two people, uh, they see the social media. You know, some people, when you go out there and look for a Berkshire documentary anywhere out there, you won't see one. I don't want you to see it. Probably Yahoo. You let me know if you've seen something, Arrow, but I've never seen anything. I've seen some people talk about it, but like visualizing it and putting it out there, I've never seen it. So uh, uh, just by going in and people actually watch it, you know, people come back the next year. Hey, I remember you from uh, YouTube or this or whatnot. Uh, one of the at different one of the aspects I would do differently is I would definitely do local radio. I would definitely do local TV there in Omaha, um, but. You know, outside of that, as far as going to Berkshire, I just like to be a free bird, have a conversation, see where the people are coming from, what brought them him, uh, what brought them there. Is this their first year? Is it their 20th year? You know, uh, is this their first, second, third year? Uh, what do they think about the economy? What do they think about investing? Uh, what are they looking to? What they're looking to this year? Why do they come? Why do they come back year after year? You know, just a common everyday person that draws in. And even the people there, they told me that uh, you know, back in the day when it was doing Berkshire, that the people, you know, Buffett used to be out front. He would hand out Coca-Colas. Uh, he would hand out, you know, do more things. And <clears throat> he see how the crowd slowly got older, older and older and older. He's seen them die off, and now their kids are coming. So, you know, just seeing a new generation come in and things like that, just, just talking, being a spun, um, learning from different people that are there, and pretty much visualizing it, give people that uh, can't make it or people that uh, don't want to go or don't know how to go or can't go, give them a feel, or people that are getting ready to come or people who are considering coming, give them a feel of kind of like, hey, this is what's kind of going on. 
Nice. Uh, do you, I, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, when you run into to like Bill Gates or you run into Ty Lopez or, you know, for you, I'm sure there's still going to be some people that are, you're, if you got into the elevator with them, you might be, you might be starstruck or just not really be sure uh -huh. how, like, so how, how do you approach that, that conversation where you've got somebody really that you might feel like, wow, I, I really am, I don't know, like, or you're, or you're uncomfortable, but you really want to connect. How do you, how do you approach that with them? Um, I think to this point now, uh, I used to be, you know, in the beginning, you know, some years ago, I was used to get very starstruck. I'm like, wow, I, I remember this person. Uh, oh, Famous Amos. I grew up eating Famous Amos cookies. You know, I don't, you know, <laughs> what do you mean I know him? And this is him. He's, you know, he's going to come over to my house and we hang out, we talk. And he tell me all these amazing stories with meeting different presidents to doing Oprah to, you know, all these, you know, fascinating stories. But I think it's like anything. A businessman or entrepreneur will slowly take the steps up. So you slowly will take, you know, you'll meet this person and this person and this person. So by the time you are standing next to Bill Gates, you won't become that starstruck or you won't say, oh, my God, this is Warren Buffett. You know, the very first time Warren Buffett was in front of me, I was like, man, wow, this is this is crazy. But uh, but now I've seen it about 20 times. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, one of those things. It's, I don't I don't think there's anybody out there that I probably get starstruck by. Um I wouldn't pitch me personally. I would just, just be myself. Hey, nice to meet you. And if they become interested in me, I always set the bar low <laughs> because people love to talk about themselves. And the thing about uh, one thing I one thing I learned is if you want to connect with people, um, talk about them. <laughs> you know, people love to, people love to go straight into the pitch. Well, I'm this, I'm this, I do this, I do this. You just act more interested in them. If they like you and you get to know each other, then it kind of comes back to that notion. If it's time for you to connect with that person, it, it'll go smooth. You know, it would, it would go smooth. Um, so I, 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 that has happened to me quite a bit where I've met a lot of, uh, you know, from Ty Lopez to, uh, to Jordan Belford to, um, I don't know, NBA, NFL guys to Fox business people that's been covering Buffett for 20 years uh, that I remember I watched their documentary with Buffett to actually meeting them. And so I met a, a, a many people along this journey and path that uh, I don't think uh, there are too many people that I would become um, starstruck by. Nice. Well, I've got a, I've got a question for you to pass along. If you happen to come across this one person, mm -hmm. uh, Seth Klarman, Seth if you have, Okay. If you happen to come across Seth Klarman, all right, you got to mm -hmm. ask him this. Is his book really that, like, did they intentionally really, like, not publish for margin of safety? Did they intentionally really not publish that many to create the, to create the demand for that book? Mm -hmm. uh, so, there's, there's an artist. So, if you look up Seth, look up Seth Klarman on YouTube and he mm -hmm. talks about it. And his story is this, and I don't know if this is just part of him storytelling. What he says is that he was approached to uh, basically share his, uh, you know, his approach. And there was an issue with the publisher and mm -hmm. they ended up only publishing a certain amount. It didn't sell too well. And they just never reprinted more. <laughs> right. But literally, if you go on after this and you look up margin of safety, it might be fifteen hundred dollars to get a copy wow hmm. so but it's yes yeah, i mean at any rate so if you happen to run across seth Klarman, that you can like hey look really was this intentional or you know like so oh i probably would approach me like hey man you got one of the best marketing plans i've ever heard of you know with your book <laughs> and then i would let him say oh no that's not how it happened it actually happened like xyz so you know, I love having those conversations. And I'm a conversationalist, if you want to call it that. I love having those conversations because I don't care about someone's success. I'm more interested in their process more than their success. Because people try to mimic the success, but they don't mimic the process. How did you become self-karma? What made you write this book? How did you even get your, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, with publishing and things like that? So I love to get those stories of people's process and for them to share knowledge on the process. Because I think the, the keys are in the process, not the success. Because I learn with success stories with what I read in the media, and then when I actually meet the person, they tell me the story, it's totally different. For a prime example, it would be, Errol, you would be here for about five years, right? 
doing your show for five years and you may write a, a couple books and one day you'll go off and you meet Bill Gates and Bill Gates say, Hey, I, I really love what you're doing. I want to do a book with you. And you guys do a book together. And when your story is told, they're going to say one day, Arrow is a, all, people will forget, they will negate all the other five, six, seven years before that. They will start it off with you meeting Bill Gates. And everybody will try to meet Bill Gates, but they won't realize that, hey, before he met Bill Gates, he was, he, you know, he was already doing this for seven years, you know, and he had already published two or three books and um, he was already doing radio and TV and, you know, but it was at a smaller level, you know, he was doing community stuff and, but people won't remember that story. They'll just remember at the point you took off. <laughs> Now, this is interesting. Do you think, and I, I don't know if this is the case, mm -hmm. that that just really comes down to people are just selfish by nature. So they, they want to kind of absorb some of that notoriety from you versus really being curious about you and curious about understanding. So they, if, I guess if, you, if you're focused on understanding, it's because you want to help. If mm -hmm. you're too focused on yourself, maybe you're just trying to have a good time. Maybe you're just, you're, you're really just trying to to take kind of from that experience for whatever you want. But if you dig in, it has to, you have to be on a mission or I have to have a purpose to be able to help other people. I don't know if that's, you know, I think, I think if people just like the easy way out, you know, people, if you told everybody, Hey, take this one pill, you will never have to drink water again. You will never have to work out. People would take the pill. You know, people don't, you know, so if they figure out this is what you did to become successful, screw all the other crap, you know, if you, why would I listen to someone's story who goes to the gym twice a day, four times a week, and they have a great body when this one guy's telling me he's taking one pill. So that's just people naturally just are lazy. Naturally, we're water. Our brains are like water. We take the path of least resistance. Oh, I can get there a whole lot easier if I do this than but it's you know uh that's what people would do you know while work years and years and years you know how hard it would be to get a show on tv you know that's way too hard you know it's i can go to school and get a master's in journalism then apply for you know hopefully i get a position at a major you know a network or i can just jump onto youtube or i can jump on facebook or social media people just naturally like to take the path of least resistance they see the whole story of Bill Gates, they don't care about all of the schooling or whatever he went through. They want to care about what point did this happen and how can I mimic this in the shortest amount of time? <laughs> you know, how can I get what you got 10 times faster? So people, they want your success. Hey, Errol, what worked for you? How did you start it? What happened for you? What was your takeoff moment? That's what people care about more. They don't really focus on the process. You know, they don't care about, well, you know, I actually took a couple of speech classes. I actually, you know, did this and did this and did this. People like to focus on, you know, you know, the, the success. That's well, that's just my opinion. Interesting. No, I like that. Actually, I think from this interaction, uh, I think I will probably be asking some better questions. So I appreciate I appreciate this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, and, you know, and over time you do, you build your own style, you build your own way. And I think that's one of the things that people try to. You know, they try to pick up on your success, but it's like, okay, great, you have this, but what happened before that? How did you become X, Y, Z? Most people don't even know what college Michael Jordan played for. You know, I think this almost <laughs> brings, <laughs> hey, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. They don't, even, they don't care about it. They just care about drugs. They don't even care about his first six, six years that he sucked. They just from the first championship to the lad to the Hall of Fame, that's pretty much what they focus on. They don't care about the first six or seven years to a Chicago Bulls sucked. They don't care about him in college. They don't care about his high school years, practice. But that's where that's where the champions win, you know? Fight night, people are examining fight night, but they're not examining training camp. <laughs> you know, what he did in training camp? What type of trainers did he have? What did he, you know, what type of mental focus did he have? What was his ups and downs? And if you study that process, you'll figure out that that person actually broke his ankle in camp or he actually went broke. He went bankrupt. He had to move back home and he had to do X, Y, Z or whatever. That's where, and then you might be going through those same things, but people don't care about that. They focus on media day, fight night, and they examine fight night. And they say, well, this is what he did well in fight night. Let me try to mimic fight night and forget about the training camp. 
Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Prince, thank you so much. I'd like to say, I guess, so from here, so for people that want to kind of keep in touch with you or follow mm -hmm. you, what you're doing. So people want to follow you and you kind of be in touch with what you're doing. Uh, what, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, connect me here on Facebook, my uh, personal page, uh, just Prince Dykes. Um, you know, I have the Wesley Learns page, which is uh, Wesley Learns on Facebook, the Investor Show on Facebook, and we have Royal Financial Investment Group on Facebook. Then the YouTube channel is the Investor Show. Instagram is the Investor Show. Twitter is the Investor Show. Uh, so uh, just check me out. Check me out. Follow me on Instagram. Shoot me a message. Tell me how to uh, tell you. Tell me how do I know you, and we can connect from there. Or Great. you can shoot me an email at prints at childrensfinancialliteracy.org. Awesome. Awesome. And so the next big projects that you're working on, I guess at this point, so the next steps for you, what are the next specific things that you're working on the next six months or a year that perhaps you might be looking to either find other people? So what, what are those things in the next six, six months to a year? What are you working on? Um, the big thing coming up in April is our Children's Financial Literacy Expo at Gateway High School. We're doing three days, 9th, 10th, and 11th. Um, for the ninth graders, 10th graders, and 11th graders, uh, bringing the financial literacy exposure to them. That's in April. Uh, in May, you know, we'll be back at uh, Berkshire. And then in June, we'll be releasing our first, uh, not our first, but our third book of the Wesley Learn series uh, titled Wesley Learns About Insurance, featuring NFL Hall of Famer Terrell Davis, the world's first children's book about insurance. And then we'll be doing in August, we'll be doing an Aurora Back to School Backpack Giveaway. And in the fall, we'll probably be heading back to, you know, in the beginning of the school year in the fall, we'll probably be heading back into schools and maybe doing some things with um, book signings and things like that. So you can just stay tuned as we um, keep pushing forward. All right. And last thing in terms of the, the folks that are listening here in my network. So who is it that would be most helpful for you to be able to connect with in terms of what they do or who is it that would be highest value for you to be able to get connected with that could help you with what your you know future goals are? Um, one of the things I'm very interested in in the next four or five years is a franchise, some sort of a franchise. So I'm very interested in a um, some sort of franchise, brick and mortar. Uh, so anybody in that space that's uh, uh, very successful in that space, you know, I definitely like to uh, connect with them. Um, also on our foundation side of the house, anybody that shares the same passion as us, uh, that like what we do. So we're always looking for uh, speakers. You know, I don't like to get on stage and speak for an hour every single day, but I don't mind hosting and bringing in different flavors. I don't know everything. So if you are very successful at real estate, you're very successful at insurance, you're very successful at uh, investing, credit, anything like that, you know, I definitely like to connect with like-minded people and to be an asset for them to give back to the community and also increase their, increase their brand and exposure. All right. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Well, thank you so much, uh, Prince. Mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate you sharing your time with us. I appreciate everything that you're doing. You're a great, you know, example for really, I think a, a lot of things. So, you know, thank you very much for what you do and for sharing your time with us today. All right. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery. Enjoy this sneak peek of the upcoming episode and if you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe so you get first notification of all upcoming episodes. And if you really like us and you want to help more people hear us, be sure to write a review, a five-star review, and let everybody know how Errol helps entrepreneurs. Go start a podcast about what you geek out on. And a guy looked at me one day not too long ago and he goes, what do you mean? I said, what's your, what's your outside of being a wealth management, mumbo jumbo, BS, whatever your title is. Um, what do you get out? He goes, craft beer. I said, oh, I love that. Tell me about craft beer. And he goes on, man, like this entire diatribe of craft beer. 
I'm like, man, that is so cool. I can make a couple of introductions. I've had a couple of guys on the show that run some massive craft breweries in Texas, you know, and, you know, we were having a fun conversation. I said, you know, here's an interesting thing. I said, how many CEOs or ideal targets that you'd love to get to do you think are into craft beer? He goes, oh, a ton. I said, what kind of phone call would it be for you to call up a CEO of a major company and said, hey, I run a podcast that reaches hundreds of thousands of people, whatever your numbers are, and it doesn't even have to be that many numbers, right? I have a podcast that all we do is talk about craft beer. 